Welcome to part two of the ISU David Foster Wallace Conference Review episode. This is Dave Laird, and in this episode, you are going to be hearing interviews with Melissa Holton, Jane Carmen, Emily Spaulding and Josh Katz, Tony McMahon, Ryan Marnane, and then Rob Short and Chris Ayers. We also want to let you guys know that our caption contest is going to close at the end of the day on August 31st. So you have until then to either write your caption on Twitter under the comment section of that photo, on Facebook, or on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. The final day of the conference, I'm here with Melissa Holton. Melissa, thanks for joining the Great oh, Concavity. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so I had the great privilege of getting to moderate your panel, and you gave an amazing paper on Infinite Jest and the Gothic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was, thank it you. was so fun to be able to talk about that. Um, could you give us kind of a rundown of, of your paper? And um, Sure, I'll try. Yeah. Um, when I was reading Infinite Jest, I was struck by certain image patterns and things like that that just felt very gothic to mm -hmm. me. And so I looked at things like liminality and abjection mm -hmm. and imagery like skulls and heads, the face in the floor, the black wing, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of what it's telling us about what the characters are doing, you know, but it intersects really well with a lot of what contemporary gothic does, which is this provoking of unease, thinking that something is familiar and realizing that it's actually very, very strange. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Wallace does that incredibly well. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of the basic yeah. idea. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to probably mention that you're a professor of literature and, and you specialize in the Gothic yes. in your teaching and yes. you're I, out of Austin, Texas. I, I teach at Austin Community College. Yeah. I taught there for many, many years, <laughs> and now I'm full-time, and yeah. I teach an honors class in Gothic literature. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. What are some texts that you use a fair bit well, that tend to recur? Probably the ones you would think of. Yeah. There's Dracula, Dracula, Frankenstein, yeah. we do Macbeth, yeah. uh, we do a short story by Neil Gaiman, mm -hmm. we do some Sylvia Plath, we do uh, this really weird early American guy, Charles Brockton Brown, okay. who wrote this crazy story that involves sonambulism, ventriloquism, and spontaneous combustion. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds like a Wallace short it story does, from Oblivion or something. <laughs> It's, it's kind of interesting, some of the parallels, yeah. you know, yeah. but no uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. It was the class I always wanted to take mm -hmm. and never got offered when I was in school. Yeah. And so I just decided, what the hell, I'll oh, teach it. That's the best way to do it. It's yeah. the best way yeah. to learn it is yeah. to teach it, right? Yeah. I took a Gothic lit class in oh. my undergrad, you know, 10 years ago. Great. And, what uh, what it, did you read in there? Uh, we read Dracula. We read, I think, War of the Worlds. Oh, nice. Um, a couple of H.G. Wells pieces. Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, yeah, Vivisection yeah. was a big theme. Oh, I remember. sure, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wrote a paper on Dracula called The Gospel According to Bram Stoker. Nice. And I got the best mark in my entire undergrad on wow. it. And I was like, if I ever get to take a class with this prof again, <laughs> I think I'll do okay. Yeah. Like she, for some reason, <laughs> just really liked it. Right. But we had very different approaches to this stuff. But right. um, it ended up working out kind of well. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so how's the conference been for you? What's your experience been like? It's your first Wallace conference, Yeah, it's right? my first Wallace yeah. conference. It's um, overwhelming in the best way. <laughs> in the absolute best way. Oh, Everybody here is so friendly. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about it with my husband, who's here with me. Uh, and 
we were saying how amazing it is to sit in a room of incredibly smart people who are all so kind mm -hmm. and seemingly without any sort of agenda mm -hmm. of one-upsmanship or anything. Yeah, it's totally. Really about a dialogue, mm -hmm. and and I just I love it, and I love getting to geek out and go do things like take picture of myself in front of Wallace's office door and stuff like that. You know, it's what fun. number was it? Four twenty. Four twenty C. It was yeah. 420. Yeah. I mean, that has a pretty thematic Bob Hope style <laughs> exactly. reference in Infinite Chest. With how you know it wasn't lost on him. You oh, know it wasn't. You probably you know? intentionally requested that probably. office. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go take a picture in front yeah. of that. Now that I know yeah. that's the yeah, right yeah, one. Yeah. And it's now in the medieval, medieval studies it department, is. right? It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is the door where he posted about being gone on the book tour for Infinite oh, Jest yeah, and yeah. all of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really cool just to be in the space. It, Mm -hmm. humanizes him and yeah. it, it, it just you know it's just been so lovely to talk yeah. with people about all this yeah and there was a, the great panel with charlie harris and a, and a few other profs from from illinois state university who, that was who were very colleagues moving. and and yeah. they had really cool artifacts like um the dave eggers manuscript for heartbreaking work of staggering genius and wallace had some comments in it and i thought that was great <laughs> the recipe for a well-written blurb oh, on yeah, the back yeah that's right not an actual blurb but <laughs> no, like here's how to do it the ingredients he would yeah. need to do to produce one that's yeah. so which i don't I remember wallace that. doing a blurb um, on that book in the in the printed copies of it thought he did oh did he it's I'm been not, like a decade since it's i read been a while since work, yeah, yeah 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 well, that's very cool. So it's yeah. been it's been uh, pretty positive vibes. Totally, all around. T completely. Yeah, uh, I agree. yeah and mm -hmm. I love all the cool artistic interpretation things. Like mm -hmm. Corey's Baldop's uh, yeah. uh, presentation yesterday really resonated for me, yeah. and Tony McMahon's on the adaptation. Yeah, that was and great just today. Wasn't really it? cool stuff. I mean, all the scholarship mm -hmm. is you know kind of this straightforward academic scholarship. Yeah. How straightforward is it really? <laughs> but, you know, it's all really Im interesting. And But you realize how immersive the world is mm -hmm. of Wallace when you see the, the artistic... Uh, what would Expressions. You yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, outpourings. Yeah, it's yeah. really amazing to see how people from dis different disciplines take the same source material and do radically different things with it. Absolutely. And that's a really refreshing cool community to be, to be a part of. It is, yeah. it is. It feels mm -hmm. like we're, we're all on the same team. Yes. Even if we're uh, totally. wearing different colored jerseys or whatever. In your case, all black. <laughs> all black. For the gothic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we were emailing before the conference and figured out that we were going to be in the airport around the same time. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you were like, I'm the one wearing all black. Yeah. Because so, I'm presenting on the gothic. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> it just sort of worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah. But then you had like a luggage snafu and you had mm -hmm. to go buy some clothes at midnight. And yeah. yeah. It sounds like a lot of people had really horrific know, travel experiences getting here. <laughs> Maybe that's a part of the bonding that goes on. I think so. You know? And I think it kind of simulates that like Wallacean consumer hell totally. public scenario. Like totally. all the stuff about the grocery store and the Kenyan speech could I was very thinking of that at midnight in line at Walmart, you know, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. No you know, how yeah. could you not? Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to your presentation and your paper, there mm -hmm. was you had a, you had some multimedia, which was great. It's nice <laughs> oh, to get some. Thanks. Um, and what, there was one slide that I just loved, the one where you did like a word count. Of, oh yeah. Like words associated with abjection. Yeah, like all the Julie body Christine. fluids. So like, how many yeah. times does uh, does blood appear? Vomit. Shit. Right. Um, all these, and you had mucus. And so, mucus. <laughs> And what was the final count for all of those? 
abject words. 551. 551 gross words. Yeah, but it seemed to make a a funny impact in the middle of the paper, so that was good. Yeah, 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 that was that was that was a great (laughs) moment. That's awesome. Do you have any plans going forward to do anything else with Wallace, uh, like Uh, paper writing wise or uh, teaching wise? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm very new to Wallace. Actually, just about a year in, you know, with him. You know, I'm very thank you. I feel very late to the party, but I'm so glad it showed up. yeah, going forward, one thing I'd like to look at, and I have to see, you know, who's already done work on this, you know, because uh, I want to fit into that conversation. But it would be about maybe about his pedagogical materials, yeah. like because you know, even more than a, I because I teach comp one and comp two so much. Mm-hmm. There's something that really resonated when I was looking at his teaching materials in the archive. You know, yeah. just like okay, this is a person I know, yeah. you know, on some level. Yeah. Um, and as a teacher, I think there's more to be done there, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's just a lot of other stuff actually with the Gothic that I'd like to do with yeah. Wallace. There's so much that I oh, didn't yeah. have like a chance Oblivion to. Oblivion seems like yeah. just a, land, a horror yeah. landscape. Yeah, so there's, 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 a lot. there's I think there's a lot, and the discussion is starting to come out in in kind of postmodern meets Gothic studies. Mm. You know, there have been a few kind of landmark books yeah. that have been coming yeah. out in the last few years so you yeah. know it's it's an, it's a field that's expanding yeah. just like wallace studies right is, you know have you heard of a scholar from canada called jody castracano no by chance no okay she's the teacher i had for for that gothic class oh, and right she's on. published some stuff on gothic cool. so i'll have to look her yeah, up yeah yeah she's really interesting um that's great so exciting new div- like areas of scholarship are opening up yeah. in this in this Wallace field yeah, and the gothic pretty, seems like a really exciting one I think it'll yeah. be fun mm-hmm. I think, I'm looking forward to doing totally. it totally you can lead the charge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be the guru the resident guru I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sit on top of a towel dispenser <laughs> yeah yeah and levitate oh man um, have you read brief interviews with Hideous Men yet? Yeah, yeah. Um, the one story about the bathroom attendant oh, and the yeah. sounds, like the objection stuff oh, in that, my God, would, yes. would be an amazing paper. Completely, yeah. completely. There's a lot to do there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole book, but yeah. especially like. But that one in particular, oh, man. for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Need we say more, no. listeners? <laughs> I think they know. <laughs> um, highlight of the conference. If you had to Highlight pin it down to a moment, is that possible? Oh, gosh. Um, Marshall Boswell's yeah. keynote was pretty yeah, stellar. Yeah, it, it was killer. Um, gosh, uh, so many different papers that I loved and just, no, I can't pick one. <laughs> yeah. My feeling no of relief after my paper was done. I was going to say, that, that's, a, that's a pretty up there moment for me, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not yours, but mine. Yeah, own. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, she's done. But we were back-to-back, so yeah. at least I, I got it over pretty yeah. fast. Oh, and I loved day. your paper on Mario. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we had a, a nice discussion yeah. about Mario prior to. And yeah. That was, yeah, Mario's, yeah, he's... You know, you gotta love Mario. Yeah, my supervisor <laughs> referred to my Mario chapter as the Super Mario chapter <laughs> because you know my reading of Mario in the theological context is pretty elevated, right? right? Um, so Super that was Mario. that was kind of a funny, totally. funny like running totally. joke that we had. <laughs> well, Melissa, thank you so much for letting us know about your paper and just and sharing your experience at the conference. It's been oh, great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan of Great Concavity, uh, so this thanks. is like really cool. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, we appreciate all your uh, your stuff on Twitter and the ways that you've inter- engaged with us. And oh, it's been awesome. Where thanks. can people find you on Twitter and, uh, and find more of your work and stuff? I am at 
M-A-C-C-A-L-I-S-A-1-7, Maca Lisa, mm -hmm. because in my real world, I'm known as Lisa, but yeah, yeah. Melissa is the official name. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then I'm just Melissa Holton on Facebook, so yeah. yeah. And, and Lisa I Holton on Twitter, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. cool, and, right on. And I have DFW pictures up yeah. in both of those spots, so you can find me. All right, <laughs> easy signifiers, Yeah. awesome. Okay, thanks. thanks. All right, I'm here now with Jane Carmen. Jane, you have been the the like lifeblood of this conference for the last three years. The the organizer and and just a, like a an amazing pillar of the Wallace community. Thank you so much for all the work you've done with this conference and the ways that you've just engaged us and welcomed us. And uh, we just appreciate it so much. So thanks for being part of it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for hosting us. For having us. Yes. We, <laughs> well, we we love it. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this year Ryan. He, It'll take it over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Main organizer. But you yeah. were you were in the wings as a yeah, su wings, support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so you've been involved the last two years yeah. uh, for one and yes. two as the main yes. organizer yes. those years. Yeah. So what's your experience uh, been like doing this conference? What's it kind of, how did you come into it? What's it meant to you? Yeah, well, um, originally when I started the conference, uh, there was a lot of talk around town or rumblings mm -hmm. around town that nobody cared about David and nobody honored mm -hmm. the memory of David and... Um, as, as a master's student and a PhD student here when I was a student here, mm -hmm. which was a little way ways back, um, <laughs> I, I hadn't read one Wallace book in a class. Yeah. So I thought that that was sad. And mm -hmm. then we have somebody like David that we can celebrate and nobody was celebrating. And um, mm -hmm. I thought it would be nice to have a conference, mm -hmm. you know, and, and one in where he was so important to him. He spent so much time here and yeah. a lot of things happened for him here. Yeah. Um, so I decided to start a conference, and it was mm -hmm. really kind of late in the game that year to start the conference. I didn't really have any interns, so I was kind of <laughs> on my own. Oh, um, wow. And I had to figure out how to make it, you know, yeah. to make it work. And so I budgeted the money for the Marriott yeah. and the registration fees and figured out how much we would have to charge for tickets, and we'd have yeah. to have X amount of people. And I was right. overwhelmed. I think we were aiming for 35, and we ended up having with volunteers 125 or yeah. 30, so. That's pretty great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so you did a PhD here at ISU? I did. Were you here around the same time Wallace was here at all? I did was you, not. Did you, no, no overlap there? Yeah. No overlap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, you've, you're in publishing, you, uh, you write yourself as well. I'm seeing your books I, around, yes. I'm seeing your names in a lot of these copyright pages. <laughs> Can right. you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Um, I'm a creative writer, and that's why I got my master's and my PhD yeah. here, and I'm, I was geographically bound to here, which ended up being a really <laughs> good thing for me yeah. um, because this program was kind of perfect. Yeah. Um, so when I first come here, Kurt White, who was a you know good friend of David's, and mm -hmm. David had a lot of influence on Kurt. Um, I was writing realism when I got here. Mm -hmm. I had a class with Kurt, and he said, bring in something that inspires you, and I brought in something that inspired me. and. He looked at it, and he looked down, and he shook his head, and he said, if you want to write like that. And so it, like, crushed my soul. At the same time, it let me know that there were other things to do. Uh -huh. um, and then so becoming involved with all these writers that are writing experimental stuff, mm -hmm. I, I found that a lot of really good writers aren't getting published. They're just, like, banging their heads on the wall because they have something that's maybe way too far out there yeah. for other people um, yeah. or too difficult or... Yeah. You know, or you're not getting academic jobs unless you have some books. So that's what brought, me, right. brought me to the publishing. But there's that double bind of you can't get an academic job unless you have academic publications, but right. you can't really get 
academic publications unless you have an academic in, you know, or it's harder to. Correct. Um, so it's a bit of a tough situation, right? right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you, you kind of opened up an avenue for, for smaller writers to, mm -hmm. to voice some really yeah. cool work. Doing some really great first books that we have coming yeah. up in the next year and a half. So awesome! Pretty excited about those, and there are people that I think would have a hard time with uh, a difficult time with even an experimental publisher and an impossible time with yeah mainstream publishers. Yeah, no kidding. And the name of the of the publication company is it's Lit Fest Press. Lit Fest yes. Press, and which is a, yeah. a bounce off of Festival of Language. I started that in two thousand and nine as a reading. Yeah, uh, as an offsite event at AWP. Cool. That's great. So um, have you done any academic stuff with Wallace's work? Or um, did you, uh, you were presenting this morning, uh, Proofreader Die was the panel name. Yes. Uh, I, I wasn't there, unfortunately. I went to some other ones. Could you tell us about what happened at the panel? Yeah, it's a, the Proofreader Die is an anthology that yeah. Charlie Harris put together. Yeah. And it's writings by Wallace's colleagues or students um, from when, the time when he was here at ISU. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good pretty good bunch of work and it's pretty exciting yeah I just anthology. picked that up I'm excited yeah. to look at it <laughs> so yeah so that's that was the main thing behind the panel yeah Charlie thought we'd be good to have a panel here and I proposed one for AWP so we'll see oh yeah they don't like very many people <laughs> <laughs> so was it uh, was it you and Charlie's just kind of roundtable discussion was that the, the no it was Charlie Charlie came to me and said hey I've, I've got this yeah idea and this thing and yeah and are you interested Awesome. I said, but try some bigger publishers because it'd be mm -hmm. nice to have more PR for it than, yeah. than I can do. And he tried some bigger publishers and not at all interested. Okay, so. yeah. For the panel presentation this morning, were, were papers read or was it a, a discussion format? Uh, papers were mostly read and then yeah. a little bit of discussion. Um, yeah. Ben Slotkey was there, Ryan Monday was there, myself, yeah. and yeah. Charlie Harris. Awesome. Were you the moderator for it? Did I see that correctly on the screen? No, I read. Oh, you read? Yeah. yeah. How'd it go? How was the Q&A? Was there some It's pretty good. Some people, fun questions People are always came. most curious about how Wallace influences somebody. Yeah. Or, you know, in all the panels here, I think everybody wants to know how Wallace influences somebody. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult question, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear that everyone who comes to this conference has been influenced by his writing right. in really profound personal ways. Right. And I think that's one of the unique things about his work that, I mean, you can talk about DeLillo and McCarthy and these other contemporary American writers, but do they, do they grab your, your, your heart in the same way that Wallace's writing does? I mean, I think they do and can, but there seems to be something unique about Wallace's writing that just really connects maybe a bit deeper. I mean, that's probably true for me, as much as I love those yeah. other writers, but... Yeah, I think so, you know. because he has something for everybody, right? He has yeah. the nonfiction, and he's got the fiction, and mm -hmm. he's got the long fiction, and he's got the short fiction, so yeah. regardless of what you like, there's something there for you. Yeah, there's a di like a diverse portfolio mm -hmm. to draw from. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool, and it's fun to see a really wide range of presentations here at this conference about his journalism and about his short fiction and his long fiction and, and all the paratextual stuff, um, right. which your panel was. So there's so much really interesting stuff to draw from, which is, which is cool. Yes, it Keeps absolutely Keeps it fun and exciting. So going forward into thinking about future Wallace conferences here, how do you see your participation and involvement with that? And well, I hope it stays the same. I like yeah. to be involved, but yeah. since I'm two hours away, uh, yeah. I like that I'm the, the person that they email with questions. Yeah. Um, Ryan's going to do it again next year, and mm -hmm. then that's his last year here. So. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little concerned. Yeah. <laughs> but I will like keep who's going to take up the mantle? Here, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would let me 
be more part of it. Yeah. yeah. Have you made it out to any other Wallace conferences in different places? I have not. Okay. I hear they're very far away. Yeah, they can be. Yeah. Uh, I went to one in Paris a couple of years ago because I was living in that area at the time, so it's pretty easy yeah. to get there. But uh, there's one in Australia coming up in Melbourne next year. Uh, Nick Maniatis and uh, and some other friends down there putting that together. Tony McMahon. So. That should be interesting to hear the reports from. I would love to go. I don't yeah. fly, so yeah. it'd yeah, be it's, a long it's the drive worst. and boat ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that would be for sure. <laughs> awesome. Uh, any last thoughts or highlights from the conference? Uh, you were just we were just saying that you're so relieved that it, that it's over. Maybe that's the highlight. <laughs> yeah. No, the people the people at the conference are the highlight of the conference. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, any, any writer's conference who I would go to and the people would be this wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be one of my favorite conferences, you know, like yeah. the people are just absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. If somebody stumbles, nobody gives them a hard time and I don't hear questions from the audience that are wicked in any way, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you hear that at other conferences. Yeah, so. it, that's very true. Yeah, yeah I was just talking to, to Melissa Holton about this. It's her first Wallace conference, mm -hmm. and I asked her about her experience, and she just gushed about how beautiful the community is and how generous people are with each other, and it feels like we're on a team. We are, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and it seems like that's maybe a unique scholarly community that there's not a lot of competition, you know. Right, yeah. You know, on the surface, so. It's, it's great to be a part of, and thank you so much again for all your amazing hard work with this conference. We continually appreciate it every year. Well, great. Thanks for being part of it. Yeah, thanks, Jane. Okay, this is uh, the last day of the conference, and I'm here with... Emily Spalding. Josh Katz. And you guys are from where? Richmond, Virginia. Both from Richmond, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And what's your connection? How do you know each other? I was... I guess I was your English teacher for one semester, mm -hmm. but more importantly, we just finished a screenplay adaptation of Infinite Jest. Yeah, and that's why we're talking, essentially. Um, so is this your guys' first time at a Wallace conference? It's actually uh, our second time. Oh, we yeah. We were here last year. I presented last year, and uh, Josh was cheering me on, and we were doing a lot of research as well. Awesome. I guess we must not have met last year. No, we must have I don't have remember meeting other. you guys. The conference space felt a little impersonal. It would have been easy it to did. get lost there. It was very yeah. grandiose last year, and this yeah. year was at ISU in the right. hallways, in the classrooms, and so it had a much more of like a, we're in school kind yeah. of a feel rather than like we're in a fancy ballroom yeah. kind of a feel. Which Did you guys prefer that this year, or what was your, what's your preference, do you think? I certainly respected the pomp of last year, and <laughs> I, I understand why we moved, but part of me, I'm going to crib from Chris Ayers here, when he said that he felt stressed out being in the classroom because he thought that continually he was going to be late for class, and I felt that way as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's but, a good way to put it. I like it. I mean, I, it, I thought it was a little bit more, yeah, just personal this year. Being yeah. in the school, it felt a little bit more... Um, I guess sort of true to the fashion of the conference, but yeah. you know, last year it was fine. I was staying at that hotel, so I got to sort of run upstairs when I was really nervous yeah. and about to present, which yeah. was which was good. But yeah. this sort of forced me, I guess, to sort of just deal with it there. Yeah, yeah. or throw up on campus. Yeah, which we got. Yeah, it was fine, which is very <laughs> fitting, given that you know Wallace, in, you know, infamously threw up in the bushes before his college interview. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Is that in the biography? I want to say, oh gosh, now I'm going to forget where it's going. <laughs> I remember my teacher telling me this story. It, you know, uh, it might have been in, in the DT Max one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it must have been. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, Charlie Harris said to me on the first day that like this space is, is really interesting to do the conference because Dave's DNA is all over this place. <laughs> 
And I was like... That's a weird way to phrase oh, it. Oh, yeah, right. okay. That, <laughs> that puts things in a new light. What would Wallace have been doing light? walking... I was going to say, <laughs> walking the halls with a black light. That should be the name of an essay of his, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cool. So tell me, tell me about your Infinite Jest screenplay. How far back do you want us to go? Um, I don't know. Like in in eight minutes or less. Tell us tell us about <laughs> okay. what it is, your process, what you uh, plan to do with it or hope to do with it. The process felt fairly traditional as far as these things go. Mm. I mean, you have to account for the fact that we were a high school teacher and a high school student writing screenplay together, mm. and there's something about that that's like deeply non-traditional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet we... It's very collaborative. Yeah, and, mm. and we tried to treat it as such. Our goal in writing it on a technical level, and we can get in later what we were trying to achieve thematically, mm. but we wanted to approach this the same way that you would approach a traditional Hollywood script. If Infinite Jest in, in its totality is, is trying to get the nature of entertainment mm -hmm. and how we respond to it and what it does, we thought, wouldn't it be interesting to play with an actual form of entertainment itself in mutating it? So let's take this book and turn it into a traditional Hollywood film. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be traditional, but it can fit that sure. format. Yeah. So it can be three acts. We held ourselves to, no matter what, this thing is going to be no shorter than 90 pages and no longer than 120 pages, because that's most screenplay lengths. Okay, so that would translate to about two hours on exactly. of screen time? Okay. So we're not thinking miniseries at all. Yeah. That's not to say that we don't like the idea of it being a miniseries, mm -hmm. but rather the exercise felt a little bit more provocative if we're looking at it as a two-hour movie. Because mm -hmm. again, maximum scalability, it'll play X number of times a day, right? Yeah. We, at a certain point, toyed with the idea of writing it in the industry standard amount of time if you're in the WGA, which is about nine weeks. But given the fact that, again, high school teacher and student, I had other classes I had to deal with. Yeah. Emily had to, like, apply to college. <laughs> Figure my life which, out. Yeah. And you right also there. just got into where? Was it Princeton? I, I will be a proud member, or I am a proud member of the class of 2020, Princeton Tigers. Yeah. So, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Very, I am so Very excited. baller. So how did you guys decide if you're writing a two-hour screenplay, what do you cut from Infinite Jest? Like what are, like that seems like an insane project, like yeah. an insanely challenging project to, how do we pare this thing down into like two hours? Yeah. So what, what's the, how, how did that go? I mean, I think it was important for us right from the get-go, we weren't doing, you know, Infinite Jest, the movie, yeah. where it was going to be every single character and, and yeah. little thing, which was very difficult to sort of, I think, deal with at first um, because there's so many great things about the book that sure. really help the reader get through it and it, it'll be something that is nothing related to the plot, but you know, you'll like take a particular liking towards, but it, it was important to us to sort of hone in on uh, some very specific themes and sort of realize mm -hmm. what um, aspects of Wallace and Infinite Jest we wanted to honor and, and bring in and include in this and um, what we would maybe sort of need to incorporate, mm. if not maybe explicitly in, in the character as it appears in the novel, but maybe have, you know, 10 ETA players represented in one yeah, okay. ETA player. Yeah. And, and it was actually quite, not that any of this process was easy, but it, it was a little simpler than maybe at least I thought it would be to mm. sort of incorporate all of those um, different themes and messages and, and characters yeah. and, and to maybe just one or two. Okay. Well, on a pragmatic level, once we decided that this needs to be short and it can't go past a certain length, yeah. it just becomes a question of being ruthless. Okay, we mm. like Katie Gompert, her stuff's heartbreaking, but unfortunately <laughs> she, she's not going to make she's it She's not major enough to... Exactly. Yeah. 
because she doesn't represent, it's not that she doesn't represent the themes that we were dealing with, but can we do it in a bigger character? So we took this massive cast and we oriented it around two, Gately and Hal. Yeah. We felt the strongest affinity. Emily, hearing her talk about how I can't think of a better person to deal with that, that inner life of the the, the teenage, the teenager period. And then likewise with Gately, but not for the reasons I think of of the addict and the right. you know halfway house with you but in the way that I maybe possibly related to Hal just because of his age but right. there were very specific reasons why you gravitated towards Gailey and mm. oh absolutely yeah. I mean I'm I'm 30 I started writing this when I was 28 and mm-hmm. f- for me with Gately there's very much this sense of a guy who's growing up and trying to you know he's not a teenager anymore mm-hmm. he doesn't have the kind of opportunities that Hal has and he's trying to figure out how to be decent and there's something like that's every day for me in, a, um, in my very small scale, non-drug addicted sense. Like I go out into the world and I worry about, all right, is what I'm doing representative of like the kind of decency that I want to convey? And that to me, that's gately. And there's something I think is very heroic about that. Mm. So once, once we got through that matter of really pretty simple character identification, we just felt, okay, we can do this because mm-hmm. plot wise, Wallace gives you enough. I mean, you're not wanting for incident in either case. Mm-hmm. It's just the question of what do we have to do? How do we torture this narrative to make it fit something that, <laughs> I don't know, you can digest in two hours. Sure. That's possible. But then still honor the spirit of this, this great book yeah. and, and why people gravitate it towards so much and why it's such a unique thing in yeah. the literary canon. Yeah. Is Mario in it at all? He is. Oh, and, okay. And, and I'm so I, relieved. <laughs> I, I really loved getting to, to write Mario's dialogue because I think it's so sweet how it's written in the book. And yeah. a lot of it, I was able to keep his little, you know, hey, boo-boo, hey, Hal, kind of um, thing in there, it's which okay, was nice. It's and, okay, it's okay. Right. Didn't and then in writing, sense. yeah, and, and in writing these horrible things that were happening on the campus to then have Mario's little part where he was just saying nothing but sweet things was kind of a nice relief for me, at least, Yeah, I found in writing. But. Yeah, he's a nice respite from, like, all the really yes. gnarly stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's one of those details that's kind of perfect because on one level, he is a respite. He gives us a break from some of the horrors that are happening, mm-hmm. and yet he is like fundamentally that he's such an odd character in a lot of other ways that it felt like a nice balance between something that's commercial we get a break and something that's still deeply kind of odd and human and strange and yearning like that all came together in that one character so finding people like that finding moments like that helped us preserve the spirit of the thing rather than us just going off and changing everything or trying to fit everything in slideshow fashion into this two-hour thing. I can can imagine a version of that. In fact, the first draft of this definitely hewed closer to that. Okay, we got to pack as much as possible into it, and it comes out as dribble when you do that. Yeah. So in terms of, um, like, settings, do we have Ennett House and ETA? Do you do the Arizona stuff at all with Steeply and Murat, or is that stuff a little too extracurricular for the length? We do not feature the um, steeply and yeah, section. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple nods to it throughout, yeah. like you know the wheelchair squeak oh, and um, the squeak. You know, some yeah. loved hands awesome. putting packages on porches. And yeah. yeah, there's certainly still a little bit of a okay. little tip of the hat nice. to that section. But there were a couple reasons why we decided to omit that, and I think it came as a pretty mutual thing from the get-go. Yeah, it's like it's pretty tangential in a lot of ways, even when you're reading the book, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, we're back in Arizona again, and it's kind of like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Conceptually, I like this. Theoretically, it makes sense, but I need to be past this yeah. for a yeah. little bit. Yeah, totally. Part yeah. of what made it easy to cut that material is you have Wallace dealing with Steeply and Murat. 
that's the most conventional, in a lot of ways, thriller aspect of this text. Yeah. Especially if you're considering the parts that he willfully leaves out that we have to film later. Yeah. Emily concocted her own thriller plot. I mean, it certainly builds off what Wallace does, but it's definitely pushing it closer to her own sensibility. We didn't want those two competing with each other. It would have felt like overkill of one. This project is much like the text is. It's a very curious mix of tones. Again, that's in keeping with the spirit. They, at some points, it's tragic. At some points, it's deeply hilarious. At some points, it's like yeah. psychotic and scary. And absurd. And absurd. Exactly. It's everything. Yeah. So we wanted to be very careful about how much of each we were getting at any given point. Mm -hmm. When Emily, when you decided, all right, I'm going to go off in this particular mm -hmm. direction, mm -hmm. That made cutting steeply in Morocco all the easier. Yeah. And, and what he's referring to is, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we really broke it into Hal's world at ETA and then Gately's at, at Innit House. And um, what I did with Hal's section is really follow the traditional sort of template of what a mystery movie or TV show would be. Mm. Um, and, and so in making Hal's kind of journey as this hero, a rather unconventional hero with a lot of interesting things that make him, you know, not at all the Hollywood sort yeah. of idea of what someone you maybe want to watch is, but yeah. um, we were able to, to um, sort of deal with it this way and mm. um, how wanting to sort of solve the mystery of who killed his dad, if anyone killed his dad, but mm -hmm. um, you know, who, he wants to avenge the death of his father. Like that's a very... You know, Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And then you also, you know, you want to root for him. And so he mm. has all these strange things going on and is making these horrible life choices but there's something at the end of the day you, you you're you're in it with them right from the beginning no pun intended with the in it thing Jeez. oh i see oh, what you did there yes. oh goodness interview That's over <laughs> no, ah. let's cut that part. so this is a screenplay could it be adapted to the stage to a live situation or is that like you need you need big setting you need i think you would need big setting okay. for the middle i don't know the middle 45 minutes maybe there it is a lot of people in rooms talking. Yeah. And I think it's dynamic, mm -hmm. particularly in the way we've structured it. But it's still, again, it, it, it could be stage-bound. Mm -hmm. The beginning, we've opened it in a way that, um, that I'm really pleased with. There, Christopher Nolan once said, you have the audience at your mercy for 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes of your, mm -hmm. of your film. They're willing to go on whatever ride you're going to take them on. You have to eventually pay back that. Yeah. But for 20 minutes, you can pretty much do anything you want. And then they'll deal with it. They'll put up with it. Right. We borrowed from the ending of, oh, and I'm going to forget the Derivative name. Derivative Sport and the Tornado Alley. Oh, yeah. Derivative Sport and Tornado Alley, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We borrowed the end sequence where Wallace imagines he's out on this empty court mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the tornado comes and picks him up. Mm -hmm. The more we thought about it, the more we thought, well, that's Hal's life right there. Yeah. He's playing totally. against himself yeah. and then that's he's great. swept up. Yeah. So we begin with this visual metaphor. I mean, that alone. I'm thinking Twister. I'm thinking the end of uh, <laughs> A Serious Man where God sends this Twister down to smite everybody. Yeah. Once you get to the ending in particular, though, the ending plays like Brian De Palma meets Terry Gilliam meets Quentin Tarantino. It's extremely visceral. It's, it's disgusting. I mean, it's, it's physically you're mired in this in this murk that's both like strongly physical, but it's strongly ethereal. It's like there's gunk everywhere. Yeah, but there's mm. something kind of beautiful about it. I too. agree, yeah. Abject beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, instead of the tornado, we do use snow, which oh, obviously cool. is because it's taking place on a tennis court. Yeah, so it's a little the map territory. To not the snow oh, yeah. yeah. That's um, the best. Yeah, but I mean, and then there's this, this camera um, on the tennis court recording all of this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I kind of don't want to spoil 
the yeah. ending of the scene because yeah. Yeah, we're sort of building up to it. But um, it, it, it speaks to so many themes of the book right there in the first, I mean, I don't even know if it's a page. Maybe it is, but maybe I feel like kind of the essence of our adaptation hmm. is, is right there in the cool. first page. And I like that structurally. It, it's, a, it's a pretty conventional move to, to essentially give all of the themes, give the entire arc in the first five minutes. But for something as dense as Infinite Jest, even in our, in our abbreviated version, it does help the reader orient themselves. They don't realize it, I think, initially, because that image of the tornado coming down is mm. so strange. But I do think it lingers, and I think mm. it gives them some prism to process everything else that's happening. Mm. That's a cool way to put it. I, I like hope that. so. Yeah. So in terms of like legalities and like <laughs> hoping to actually get this made, I mean, like Michael sure has the rights to yes. Infinite Jest, right. so what does that look like for you guys? Like, What's the game plan? The so he hasn't done anything yeah. with it yet, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of references on Parks and Rec where yeah. they bring in character yeah, names, totally. but from what I gather, he hasn't really made any significant moves towards filming this, right. and that he's spoken at length about it being a miniseries. Hmm. Legally, for us, what does that mean? I mean, mm-hmm. from what I gather, anybody can write a screenplay. Yeah. yeah, we're not. We haven't sold this to anybody. We don't plan on selling it. Like we've, yeah. we're doing this right now as an intellectual yeah. exercise. Oh yeah, cool. I would love at some point to talk with him about it. Mm-hmm. Not, and I don't say that from the oh, I'd love for him to read it and give us all <laughs> Hollywood careers. And that'll be your big brain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but rather, clearly, this is a text that means a lot to him. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's very telling that whether it's true or not, I do like that story that. He owns the rights so that no one can make a movie of it because he sees it as this the gatekeeper. Perfect, the gatekeeper, right? right. Yeah. So that suggests the kind of purity of intention that you know whether it's true or not. I'm going to assume it is because I like Parks and Rec. Yeah, I, love I would too. love to just talk with him about it. Have him read our, totally. our draft and and tell us this is working, this isn't. I mean, as a lesson in screenwriting, as a lesson in infinite jest, I think that would be invaluable. Mm-hmm. Or say I hate 108 pages of it, but that one page right. somewhere in the middle has a decently cool idea. Let's talk about that. Right. Let's expand upon that. <laughs> exactly. Let's yeah. bulldoze the whole thing and yeah, expand yeah. off that one right. page yeah. right, right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and as, as Josh said, this was certainly an intellectual exercise for us and I think sort yeah. of maybe our way a little bit of just dealing with this book. Um, yeah sort of, you know, this whole idea of entertainment. This was kind of our entertainment after putting down mm. Infinite Jest. We didn't really know what to do. And then, it's a form of catharsis. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, and we were cool. able, uh, or I guess, you know, for us, what we got out of it was sort of um, being able to articulate our interpretation of, you know, a little bit of this book. And mm. like I said earlier, this was in no way us trying to put everything that makes Infinite yeah. Jest so great into one thing, but, yeah. you know, hopefully being able to, communicate that to a, a different audience mm-hmm. and have it live on the page has been such kind of an honor to get to cool. be a part of that process. Absolutely. Well, that's great, guys. Thanks for the, the rundown. That's very cool. My pleasure. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, final thoughts on the conference. How was your experience at 2016 Walls? Uh, this was my first year presenting. Yeah. I have been trying to put off adulthood for <laughs> quite a long time now. It makes me feel more adult, despite being in a classroom and feeling like I'm going to get a uh, tardy slip for, for being out in the halls to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. I like that feeling of, of being immersed with people who know so much about this thing that I care about mm-hmm. and feeling as though I can contribute to that in some fashion. It's 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 exhilarating. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing you aspire to. Yeah, It's really exciting for me getting to come back for the second year and maybe being a little bit more courageous to sort of get into <laughs> some of those lively discussions and, yeah. and, and know that these 
you know, everyone in the room is, is passionate about Wallace and something that is, is so close to me. And, and it's really cool to, hey, you know, last night we were sitting at dinner and um, I, I was talking to someone about this part of Infinite Jest and, and we couldn't remember how this like one plot fact um, is sort of elucidated and we were like, do they even say it or do we just sort of take people's word for mm -hmm. it? And, and we were like, God, when does this happen? And then we just grabbed someone who's walking by and we're like, hey, do you remember this? And, and sure enough, you right. know, because everyone they in the room sure. has, has, has read the book. So yeah, yeah it, it's really cool getting to come back this year and, and um, you know, getting to sort of reconnect with, with people and having those relationships. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's just so much fun and exciting to hear yeah all of the um, like ideas that are emerging from these texts and continue to emerge, getting yeah. to hear uh, the keynote speaker, mm -hmm. Marshall Boswell, was so cool. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to get to hear his interpretation on something like Infinite Jest was just awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It starts to feel like a reunion, like a high school reunion or some kind of like... Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, especially if this is like your second or third one and you've seen you've met these people before yeah. and you've been in touch on Twitter all year and it's just like... Oh, there's Mike Miley again. Yeah. It's yeah. Just yeah. 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 yeah, it's really fantastic. And yeah. it's so cool that it, it, one author is what binds you together with yeah. these people. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So good vibes all around. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very happy. Yeah. We'll see you back here next year. Right. Hopefully. Here's yeah. hoping. Yeah. I mean, she Princeton here is going to take the oh, world by storm, so we got to see if that'll work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh, Emily, thank you guys so much for oh, thank you. for sharing your project. It sounds really exciting, and we will definitely want to be kept up on the updates in the future. So let us know what develops. Absolutely. All right. And thank you for having us. You're welcome. Our pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right, we're here now with Tony McMahon from Melbourne, Australia. Tony, welcome to the, the Northern Hemisphere once again. <laughs> Dave, hi, thanks for having me. Real pleasure. Oh. Great to be in uh, America at the, uh, what is it, the third annual? Third Dave annual. Foster Walls Conference. I was going to say the 16th. Uh, <laughs> the 16th annual, yeah, 2016. Yeah, yeah. The, the situation's good over here with Wallace Scholarship, but it's not quite that good. <laughs> right on. So, Tony, you are... You know, I keep referring to certain people on the show as like pillars of the Wallace community, and that's definitely the case with you. You're just every every conference I've ever been to, you've been there too. So Paris last year, this year, and you have you indicate no signs of slowing down at all. Um, a big factor of that, of course, being the upcoming 2017 Wallace Conference in Melbourne, Australia. Yes. So that might be a cool place to you can talk about that to start yeah, off. Yeah, we well, lead that into some other stuff. First of all, thanks for calling me a pillar. Um, that implies that I'm kind of tall Ga and skinny. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not the case. So, yeah, thanks for that. But, yeah, look, I, it's true. I have been to, I have been going pretty hard at Wallace Scholarship for the last at least couple of years. Paris was my first Wallace conference. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, yeah and, uh, and then I came here last year, and um, both times I presented papers on Wallace and music. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of signifying rappers in Paris and uh, more sort of punk grunge uh, yep. last year here at Normal. But this year I changed tack a little bit and I spoke about adapting uh, Infinite Justice, a television screenplay. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was really interesting. The paper went down pretty well, I think. Yeah, um, I'd say so. Yeah. That was just this morning too. Yeah, that so was you, just this morning. You're feeling all the euphoria was, of post-conference delivery I'm, relief. I'm feeling the euphoria. I'm feeling the pain of living in a uh, mansion in Bloomington with four other Wallace scholars and being up till 3am every morning <laughs> arguing the finer points of, uh, of 
you know, whatever. Post-structuralism and <laughs> Stuff whatnot. like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, it's been good. It's been great. It's been a fantastic trip. It has, yeah. Yeah. I actually, it just occurred to me that I had intended to start this interview out by saying, here's my guest, Mr. Tony McMahon. So we could do the job. Because we were talking the other night about the yes. first person who says Mr. to you, you're going to just shoot them down because yeah. you had a great year. What happened this year, Tony? I have, I have had a pretty good year. Um, <laughs> I... Um, uh, I got my doctorate, so... So um, it's Dr. It is Tony actually McMahon. Dr. Tony McMahon, and yeah. I am really looking forward to that first time <laughs> when some... But no, Non-fabricated time. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. do it to you, uh, Dave, because you know, you're a nice guy. It has to be somebody who's giving me shit and says, you know, well, Mr. McMahon. Like in a condescending way. Yeah, yeah. if you don't mind. And then I'm really looking forward to saying, well, actually, it's, excuse me, but it's Dr. So yeah, I wouldn't have done it to you anyway. Although <laughs> I probably would have tried the joke. It wouldn't have worked. <laughs> yeah, if it's artificial, stuff. it's not yeah, as funny. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to get on to so the Australia conference next mm, year, mm, tell us a bit mm, about the, the yeah. groundwork and the plans for that. Um, the groundwork and plans, that's those are good words. Um, they're well Look, you know, I make I got some postcards printed up at Staples. Oh yeah, which can I get some of those tonight? Do you have any left? Yeah. They're all gone. <laughs> no, sorry. That's um, cool. uh, yeah, no, they're all gone. There should be one in your in your packet from mm. the conference. Um, Great, I haven't so, left everything. So, that's but cool. I, I mean, I can easily get some more printed up. So there will be more around. Nice. Um, so I've chosen a date, or myself and some other people who are helping me organise the conference. Uh, uh, have chosen dates and it's September 1, 2, 3 next year, two, so 2017 yep. in Melbourne, Australia probably at RMIT University where I work and where I did my PhD yep. um, yeah, besides that groundwork uh, it's, look, we're taking the kind of punk rock approach, mm-hmm. the do-it-yourself approach, Yeah. here's a chord here's another chord, here's a third chord go out and start a band um, and repeat yeah, yeah. Repeat. so it's like here's some postcards you go into normal give them out that's the Australian David Foster Wallace Conference this not to suggest that it's not going to be well organised and slickly run it and will rigorously be rigorously academic Rig- and all that stuff. really rigorously <laughs> academic but none of that will be coming from me that will be other people um, yeah, yeah. I'll, so who else, who else is associated with this that we might know? There's of? Jonathan Laskowski who yeah. works at RMIT. He was going to come to the uh, the Dave Foster Walls conference here last year, but mm-hmm. um, couldn't come for family reasons. Nathan Seapelt, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, good Adelaide boy, uh, yeah. who again was going to come and didn't make it this year. Yeah, we just found that out like yeah, the, like yeah. the day before our Infinite Winter panel. Like, oh no, Nathan yeah, can't come. Yeah. But we managed to Skype him in, so yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, look, I've had um, I've had I probably shouldn't name any names at this stage, but I've had um, uh, strong, strong, strong expressions of interest for keynotes from. Two of what I'd consider the top three Wallace scholars in the field. Oh, um, juicy so, details. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you you guys work out you know who you think that is and yeah, okay, and, and extrapolate from there. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to mention any names yet until it's kind of yeah, yeah. Stone. yeah that's, but we'll have some that's like fair. we'll have some like really kick-ass uh, keynotes. Yeah. Nick Maniatis from the Howling Fantods is yeah. right behind the idea. No kidding. And just like is kind of retweeting every. 
tweet that I post on the kind of off chance that it's got something to do with the conference. Yeah. You know when you first joined Twitter, which I did like a month ago. Oh, that yeah, yeah, and, of course. Welcome do, to the welcome to the team. <laughs> and, and you send that. They say I'll oh, send like a test tweet out. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm just preparing my first tweet. Or yeah. whatever. <laughs> Nick Maniatis from the Howling Fans was actually retweeted that. So that's how keen he is about like the Wallace Conference. So he'll be behind it 100%. Oh, yeah. He's in Canberra. It's only a short drive away. It's only a really short flight away. Yeah. Is it like two or four, three or four hour drives? Yeah. It's probably about eight hour drive. Okay. Which in Australia, it's yeah. actually not Pretty that far. Pretty short, yeah. Uh, As a Canadian, about, I know that yeah, that's, yeah, that means yeah, short. <laughs> yeah. It's about a 50 minute flight, something like yeah. that. So yeah. he'll be like all over it. Yeah. Um, I, I also met a ton of people here at the Wallace Conference who were like really, really keen to come and also to help out. So like I said, don't let my, you know, kind of DIY punk rock, uh, you know, facade fool you. It will be kind of really slickly organized, just not by me. Because uh, I'm not only a punk, I'm like really, oh, yeah. really lazy. Uh, how about anybody from Sydney will they be involved like Lucas Thompson well I haven't spoken to Lucas for a while and Dan Dixon last time I spoke to him was here last year but I mean I would assume so Uh, it's not every day you get to go to Wilds Conference only an hour from where you live no kidding especially when you live on the bottom of the planet like we do in Australia (laughs) Um, or as we like to refer to the arsehole of the world Um, so look I can't imagine they wouldn't come and I'll certainly be really disappointed if they didn't uh, if they don't come so <laughs> emotional yeah. blackmail for you guys right here this is like politeness roulette but yeah. not really very polite no no Lucas Dan if you don't come I'm never talking to you again <laughs> we're never going out to uh, Austin Texas and drinking beer again with yeah. Matt Booker Forget- thanks Matt Forget about it. Yeah, yeah, Matt showed you guys a pretty good time out here he in did. Austin. He's, he's like the most gracious host I know I've yeah. ever met. And I did say I was uh, I was kind of thinking about this Australian Wilds Conference when I was in uh, Austin last year. I did say that if he comes to Melbourne, if he makes it to Melbourne, I'll make sure I give him like the works, the whole tour. I'll like <laughs> do his ironing for him. I'll like yeah. do his washing. I'll babysit his kids. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Um, just to kind of pay him back for how kind he was to me when I was in Austin. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Speaking of pillars of the community, Matt Booker yeah. is yeah. like we. There's yeah. been a palpable, you know, we've we've all felt the lack of his presence at this conference. Yeah. Because yeah. he's just like yeah. people on the on this people the scale of people who care about Wallace like yeah. Matt Booker yeah. is yeah. is at yeah. eleven. Yeah. Just cranking yeah. that spinal tap yeah. dial. Yeah, Rob Short's about nine and a half. Rob's very high also. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Very Matt's, impassioned. Matt's his own uh, yeah. his, his whole own category when it comes to passion mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Wallace. Isn't and it? just walking yeah. encyclopedia. Yeah, of exactly. There's been so many times when I've someone's asked me a question or something's come up <laughs> in one of those three AM conversations and I've gone where's Matt? He would know the answer to this. Because yeah. none of us do. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, getting Matt and Nick in a room? How cool would that be? That'd be getting Matt and Nick in a room would be pretty brilliant. Yeah, I don't know. Two guys who have just been at it since the beginning. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. like when Nick was on with us, he they just I kind of felt like a really privileged fly on the wall and they yeah, just talked yeah. about how Wallace yeah, has yeah, you know, in the last twenty years of their lives, which is, you know, like yeah, you know, yeah, half their lives yeah, or like yeah. all of their adult lives. Yeah. And he, yeah uh, Johnny come lately, he's been at it for I don't know about you, but for me it's been, you know, Five, six years or yeah. something. I read Empire Just in 2007, so about mm-hmm. almost 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty different stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So to go back a little bit to your your presentation today, uh, yeah. maybe yeah. unpack a little bit more um, what you had to say and, and how this sort of Q and A developed and the kinds of conversations that that your paper uh, enlivened. Yeah, well, look, I've become really interested in uh, adaptation studies. I mm-hmm. teach a subject uh, called textual crossings at RMIT mm-hmm. in Melbourne, where I work, uh, and that's about uh, adaptation theory, which is a kind of emergent field in the academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a uh, the guy who runs that course, his name is Stephen Gaunson, and he uh, wrote something where he said that, uh, or where he argued that adaptations are second originals and that they're the way that stories evolve. And there's another adaptation theorist, Linda Hutchin, who mm-hmm. says that uh, something along, the, I'm paraphrasing here probably pretty badly, something along the lines of to be second is not to be secondary, um, that, uh, that adaptations are their own palimpsestic things. Mm-hmm. I've started thinking about that in terms of Wallace's work because obvious, for obvious reasons, there's not ever going to be any more uh, work yeah. from David Foster Wallace. So how do we as Wallace fans and as kind of Wallace scholars deal with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and one way, I think, uh, is to look at adaptation studies and go, well, hang on, actually there is going to be new work from David Foster Wallace. There is going to be adaptations of yeah. the jest. There's already been adaptations, albeit not very good ones, of, uh, you know, Brief interviews with hideous men. Um, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. John. Yeah, Kuzinski, yeah, yeah. I love The Office. Like, I'm a huge Office yeah. fan, but you just screwed the perch on that one. Sorry. Can I say <laughs> that? I'm a great contributor. You can say it. <laughs> but I'll temper that a little bit by saying that, I, and I've said previously that I, adapting that book, it seems profoundly hard because you're trying sure. to pull all sure. these really disparate sure. threads together sure. into, co- into a cohesive sure. narrative. So sure. I think it was a very noble enterprise to try yeah, and do good that. on him like, for trying yeah, too. yeah. I mean, good on him for kind of he's got he obviously had a fair bit of cultural cachet at the time yeah and where he'd go he went to David Foster Wallace yeah so, which is like yeah, yeah. sweet man yeah it that's is great sweet. so good on him for yeah. that but, I just missed the the um the bathroom attendant scene in, in brief interviews mm-hmm. you know where it's just the onomatopoeic sound of the, to- yeah, of the bathroom yeah, sounds yeah. like that scene would have yeah. been remarkable mm. Made in a very disgusting and abject way. <laughs> well, I miss the lack of the uh, female interviewer, which kind of is sort of the whole point of the book. Yeah, the interrogation there, so of the male psyche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it kind of lost uh, quite a bit by having this mm-hmm. sort of. I don't remember it too well because it was a bit of a traumatic experience for me. <laughs> but there was, if I'm not mistaken, there's like a kind of story about a, a young woman walking around. Mm-hmm. university campus right doing those interviews right. yeah and to me that just yeah really didn't work sorry John I love you but yeah <laughs> no. you know redemption exists it in does. the world it and does. in Wallace's work some of us would it argue does. myself yeah. included yeah. Um, how, how's the conference been just final thought final takeaway for the conference what's it been like to be at Wallace 2016 yeah it's been really terrific it's, it's lovely to come back somewhere where you've obviously experienced before Where everybody knows your name everybody knows your name <laughs> Jeez, mate. Um, but but yeah like so i was here last year it was a bit different it was at marriott and it was kind of a bit classier and it was a yeah. little bit grungier maybe this year it was at isu in the it's more diy this year i reckon yeah. yeah yeah um i mean i preferred this year's probably to last year's yeah i think last year um there was possibly some more how do i put this uh, diplomatically, 
higher caliber of the kind of upper echelons of the Wallace sure. uh, uh, studies. So Mary Kay Holland Bird. last year and Stephen Brown. Yeah, and David Herring. David. Yeah, those guys weren't here. Yeah. But, you know, Marshall Boswell was, who's a superstar, obviously. <laughs> um, but, um, um, yeah, so it was possibly a little bit down on that kind of things, but I really liked that it moved to the building where Wallace taught yeah. and it was at a university. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that really worked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit grungy that yeah. may have been. Yeah, I just mentioned this to, uh, to Josh and Emily, but Charlie Harris on the first day said to me, like, we're in this building where David's DNA is everywhere. It is. It and is. that was kind of like... It is. Ooh, There's some photos on Twitter of... Uh, Chris and Rob and I looking for Wallace's DNA and they're very embarrassing so I should probably shut the hell off about those really the photos are embarrassing or the evidences of DNA are embarrassing no there like wasn't if any we, evidence if we, we brought a black light would there be is that what you mean no 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 there was it was just it was embarrassing for us this, this, oh cause like yeah, ultimate yeah. fanboys here's a here's a thing that I have and I think this was maybe like an anxiety of my master's supervisor team mm-hmm. was like we have this guy Dave Laird, who is obviously a huge fan of Wallace's work and wants to do something academic about it, um, how do we try and direct him in a way that his scholarship is not gonna is not gonna be just fanish, you know? And and I think for a lot of us here, that's kind of we started out as fans and then we wanted to do something academic about it. Yeah. And maybe there's some yeah. scholars in the field who just do lots of contemporary American lit stuff, and Wallace is just one of the stops on that tour. Um, so how do you how do we separate that? That's can really, you should we? Yeah, you know, yeah. there's a lot of interesting questions. There here. is, mm-hmm. there is, and I don't think there's uh, like most interesting questions. There's probably not any one kind of right answer. Yeah. Um, but it's it is a really good question, it's, and I think it's something we probably have to keep asking ourselves as mm-hmm. well as scholars. Because um, you want that like dispassionate objectivity mm, in scholarship mm, to an extent, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's also a place for like, yeah. here's how I personally connect to this material, yeah, and yeah. it's clear that people who are doing the scholarship are also having that personal response. And absolutely, and that's what makes these conferences so great. Like I've been at twenty of conferences since I've started my PhD, and I mean, I went to a punk conference in Leicester, and that was a that was a that was a hoot. It was one of the best times I've ever had um, away from home. But there's something about these Wallace conferences where there's that shared kind of understanding, I suppose, that we are all on some level just these rabid kind of fans. Yeah. That makes it so likely that we'll sit out in a backyard in Bloomington drinking beer and talking until three a.m. Um, and shouting at each other. Uh, you know, <laughs> Convexity. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah so and then just all be really friendly about it the next day um no bad no hard feelings um but um yeah so look i don't know if the answer to that question and i'd be kind of worried if i thought i did yeah yeah that's a that's a great way to frame yeah. that i think yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well tony thank you so much for swinging by and thanks Dave. having a brief interview really appreciate your input man thanks for having Keep me it's been a pleasure and yeah, congrats you too, again man. on your on your phd thanks you when you're, you're not too far away i'm sure it remains to be seen if, if that's a path that I take, but I think I'm pretty content for now to just hang out for a while and, and enjoy being done this leg of the tour. And Wallace will get you there in the end. If anyone life. does, it'll yeah, be Wallace it'll be for there. sure. And it'll be this kind of And it'll community. be this community, absolutely. And one of these days, 
podcast should start counting as you know towards academic transcripts or whatever you call them over here. Oh yeah, that's yeah. actually been quite a big question at yeah. this conference is like yeah. what constitutes scholarship yeah. and yeah. does this kind of like a yeah. you know extracurricular thing like a podcast huh. constitute a, a scholarly enterprise or yeah. is it part yeah. of the archive yeah. or you know that's that's kind of been a, a big thing that a lot of people have been thinking about which is cool yeah. and I think that I think that Chris Ayers wants to talk to me about that coming up so right. I we might, I hear, steal Chris we might hear more about that from him so thanks again Tony good on you Dave all the best going back to the to the southern hemisphere cheers mate see you soon <laughs> alright alright here now with Ryan Marnane from Rhode Island that's right Ryan welcome to to the Great Concavity, man. Thank you. It's great to finally have you on. We've been meaning to have you as a guest or uh, in some way, and it's great to get a chance to not only hang out and talk about Wallace in an academic way, but also to live in the same house for the last three days with you. And you've organized this amazing mansion uh, Airbnb for a bunch of us. Yeah. So it's been it's been like a it like an extension of the conference that yeah. is so valuable you know like the kinds of conversations you have in, in the classrooms and Q&A are, are great but then the kinds of conversations that you have until 3 a.m. with your friends drinking beer you know is is a kind of different conversation but one that is just there's so much humanity in it and joy in it so yeah. thanks for facilitating absolutely this it's program. quite a swanky pad isn't it it's it's very baller <laughs> it worked uh, out it's like a colonial like plantation mansion feels like or something um so you your name has come up before on the show when we talked to josh roiland mm -hmm. and you and josh have a pretty similar interest in wallace in that you guys are really interested in wallace's journalistic nonfiction or creative nonfiction or literary journalism, literary journalism yeah. or any of those titles that we might apply yeah. um so you guys are really occupying speaking to to stuff that doesn't get talked about as much as Infinite Jest or right. this conference Oblivion has come up a lot. Which is great. Miley's paper was fantastic. Yeah, Mike Mike rocked it. Yeah. Although I missed his panel, which was too bad, but other things were happening. So you gave your talk this morning. You're now in the state of uh, euph cathartic, euphoric, like, doneness, yeah. which is always a nice feeling. Yeah. Uh, give, give us a, an idea of what your paper was on this morning and the, the questions that came out of that. Um, like many other papers, ignore the abstract, right? Yeah. Um, so the paper was called Deepening the Archive, yeah. the Paratextual Afterlife of Wallace's Literary Journalism. And instead of thinking about his literary journalism in um, 11 different pieces, um, kind of exploring the varying iterations of each of them and how each piece in its different mediums modify authorial reader relationships. So, for example, Consider the Lobster was the one that I was focusing on. Mm -hmm. It's currently in nine different um, places of circulation, from audiobook to e-reader to the magazine version to the book version, and right. the list goes on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so exploring how Wallace um, uses those different mediums to speak to his readers um, by way of paratext from the copyright page of the book version, right. addressing how these pieces were originally edited, mm -hmm. um, to the audiobook version where he's speaking directly to the listener. Mm -hmm. um, and so you played an audio clip for us of the yeah. audiobook. How did you think that went? It was great. I'd actually never heard that before. Yeah. I've been listening to the Infinite Jest audiobook off and on for the last few months, but I haven't heard anything from Consider the Lobster. I mean, one reason is because audiobooks are so expensive. So if you use your one free download from like Audible yeah. for Infinite Jest, which right. you know, I did, 
Um, Wait, is that, is that one credit? That's the it's, eight, it's, it's one hours. credit. Yeah, that's it's a, a great purchase. So wow, like the serial yeah. podcast bang keeps, for your buck. <laughs> totally keeps pumping Audible, and I was like, oh yeah, you get one free thing. Right. I could get Infinite Jest with that. Cool, right. and that's what I did. And then, so, what do you think of the Infinite Jest audiobook? Um, I've listened to probably about six or so hours, six to eight hours of it, and um, I think it's really it's quite fascinating. In a lot of different ways. Um, one of the ways which you talked about today is there's no end notes in the original. In the original, there isn't. And they've, they've gone. They've since, since gone done. back and added a new file. But then you have to go back between audio files. Right. So there's a weird tennis match with that. That's probably harder than the book. Right. Right. Or more work than the book in that way. But when it was first published, I think um, they did the main text and then they published it with the end notes as a PDF. Right. So they encourage listeners to yeah. both listen and read. Yeah. Um, There's the little um, feminine voice that comes on and says yeah. the number, like 42. Yeah. And then you're prompted to go. I don't know. She's yeah. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I think she's some yeah. vaguely imperial uh, accent. Or yeah. Something. <laughs> I think Sean Pratt's delivery is is really phenomenal. Yeah. I, I just I'm listening to it in my car driving and laughing out loud all the time. Yeah. Um, it's we, not the we, first one either. There was there was an audiobook version of Infinite Jest that was done in the late '90s. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know. That. I, I can't get access to it. Oh, I know that it's been done, and yeah. Sean Pratt was in contact with the individuals that did it. Oh, okay, yeah. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, Pratt's is the one that's in circulation. Yeah, we're um, we've been in talks with Pratt to have Monsoon as a guest. Oh, and great. Talk about him. Talk oh. about the process with him and some of the choices and. I'm really interested in the accents, yeah, the, the way that he portrays different characters with different accents. Particularly, so it's the a very Canadians, performative. I Canadians. Mario has a very distinct kind of kind of soft yeah. like, voice, um, and then you know characters who are who are ethnic, like Idris Arslanian, for example, uh-huh. being from India. There's like an Indian accent associated with this character, and I'm I'm curious to ask Sean about whose choices were these. Was this like a performative? choice that you made in delivering right. this to make it easier for listeners to, di- to differentiate characters was this a choice of like the production team what was the process behind right. some of those things and so um, that's what's interesting for me about moving away from infinite jest like i've been trying to do for the weekend right yeah. now there are, these, there are these other yeah. pieces that are really brilliant that we should be talking about yeah. um what's particularly interesting with the texts that wallace actually orates mm-hmm. um like uh, John Jeremiah Sullivan in his introduction to the audiobook um, DFW in his own words says when you listen to Wallace it's a voice that is emphatically reading right so like yeah. Sean was um, Pratt like you said was acting mm-hmm. right but when you listen to Wallace read he's not acting he's yeah. reading it's that yeah. brain voice that Silverblatt talks about right. um, that you get to experience um, as a listener mm-hmm. Um, and I think it it has the possibility for creating a more intimate relationship with the narrative, when not you, as a substitute right. for the book versions right. or the essays yeah. themselves, yeah. but as a means towards <laughs> deepening possibly the intimate and um, immersive experience of engaging with the narrative. Yeah. So you raised an interesting point in your talk today, where you were talking about when people say, "Oh, I read that book," but they listened to the audio book and they didn't actually engage with a print medium of it you said you made a great claim like some people would be dismissive of audiobooks and say like that's not a valid form of reading you said no it is but it's just a different it's it accesses a different sense well no it's, it's, it's not reading instead of visual so it's not technically reading but it's still 
a literary text. In it's some still way. a literary experience. Yeah. But mm. it's clearly not the same experience as reading, right? Yeah. I mean, you read with the eyes. Um, yeah. You listen with the ears. Yeah. Uh, but I think we shouldn't dismiss it. Yeah, yeah. And especially totally. brief interviews and of particular interest, consider the lobster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the literary journalism as well, because the, the field, the genre is about immersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's about consciousness on the page. And I think the audiobook lends itself towards that um, sensory experience mm-hmm. of immersion. Yeah. If you can do it when you're not like, you know, taking out the trash or trying to drive to work, but if you can sit and listen to an audiobook and, and right. be present, yeah. um, there's something there. But it's maybe not a substitute for actually reading. No, of course not. The page. I no. I. I so you're I, a purist. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. Clearly, there's a difference, right? Yeah. But I, I don't assign audiobooks in my classroom. I don't think it's a substitute for engaging with the text. Right. Um, but I do recommend students listen and read if they have difficulties mm-hmm. um, focusing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One thing I think too about the Infinite Jest audiobook is that probably really hard to keep it all together you know in your head if you only are listening to the whole thing for 56 hours right because with a book you can flip back look at the year chronology puzzle together like page 223 gives us the year of subsidized time like yeah, chronology imagine hitting 223 in the audiobook and then having to rewind to yeah. figure out what the hell just happened like no, i feel like that's work. that's kind of a weird challenge that the book is actually a form of gives us a form of grace in right that, right like so that that's presents another kind of whole problem or issue with audio versus text. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, so it's it, not a substitute, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. But um, as a means towards perhaps mm-hmm. deepening, um, for me, the authoritarian relationship. Yeah. Um, but I do like Sean Pratt's. Yeah. I think he's. Work. I think he's really talented and brilliant, yeah. and I think he's really thought a lot about this book and probably is like one of very few humans on the planet who has read the entire book out loud. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like, yeah. You know, it took him a year to do it. A year. Yeah, he yeah. was doing other projects in between. Right, yeah. Um, but again, like I haven't looked into it too much, just enough to kind of see what the, the discussion was regarding Wallace's audio texts. Um, mm-hmm. And there isn't any, right? Yeah. No one's engaged with sound studies in Wallace. Yeah. So that's um, kind of a burgeoning the, field is what you're is sort of what you're saying today a little bit well yeah I mean I presented a, a, a how did I open the paper I, I come to you with more questions than claims yeah um, here are a few interesting points of contact with Wallace study with Wallace's body of work that we haven't addressed yet mm-hmm. um, I mean a talk we need more engagement with his nonfiction and his literary journalism in particular mm-hmm. but also adding to that is the audiobook yeah Cool. So you you sort of left the audience with a few questions today, uh, things to think, of, and not necessarily not necessarily saying I have the answers to these, but here are questions going forward, and what do we make of them? Yeah. How do we deal with them? So what what were a couple of those ideas? So one was the influence of scholarship um, and archival work mm-hmm. on how we think of published pieces from Wallace himself. So I put up the images of some of the proofs from Consider the Lobster. Mm-hmm where the copyright disclaimer about the original organs in which these essays appeared mm-hmm. was actually in on its own page in the original proof under institutional acknowledgments. <laughs> I mean, it's not on the copyright page. It's, you know, Roman numeral four. It's mm-hmm. the thing that's directly next to dedicated for Bonnie Nadell. Mm-hmm. Readers would experience that institutional acknowledgement, I would imagine, 
much more than it's it being appeared on the copyright page. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how many Wallace readers engage with the copyright page yeah. who aren't deep into his studies, yeah. but it changes how you engage with the essays. Yeah. And that the, the Consider the Lobster was originally supposed to be titled Host. And I don't know um, if your experience is like mine, but I haven't met many people who have read Host or have engaged in Host critically. Hmm. Um, but if it was the title of his second collection of nonfiction, I would imagine more people would find it um, important to experience and dive into that narrative because it's the title narrative of this of the collection. Oh yeah. Yeah, so like with supposedly fun thing, if it had been titled after one of the essays in the collection, how how would we navigate what that collection feels like based on the title essay? Is that sort of what you mean? Yeah. 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 And how does how does that change the dynamics of this of the conversation around this book or collection? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so but, titles frame things for us, and that was you gave a rad example where you had a slide of is it four or five different, four different titles? title variations of Can my you, paper. Do you remember a couple of them? Uh, Deepening the archive, yeah, paratextual afterlife of Wallace's journalism. Consider the audiobook. Brain voices, <laughs> disembodied narratives, and what was the last one? The last one had something to do with like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the varying iterations uh, by way of exhibitionist value with regard to late capitalism or something right, yeah. ridiculous to get the audience to laugh a little bit. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, and speaking of that, there was a moment where you made just a just awesome claim and Corey balled off from the mic back. mic drop moment? Yeah, like like this sentence, boom, mic drop. And speaking of, Corey balled off from the back goes, boom! And everyone just looks back as if someone with like Tourette's syndrome had just like interrupted this really formal uh thing and i looked over and i saw it was Corey, and i just like started laughing hilariously yeah. because her passion for the subject and you know the way that she encourages people in this community is is so unique and um just she's so passionate and it's like you can't her passion for this stuff is just really um the word where it Contagious. Yes. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so it was this really funny moment in the middle of your talk, and everyone laughed, and it just brought this. There was already great levity to what you're, to the way that you were presenting things, which this is like this really communal moment yeah. that was that was really beautiful. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need more of that in these conferences, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it does feel a bit stuffy sometimes when you're reading like you know for twenty minutes in a row off your right. page and. There's no interaction with the audience except for you look up once. Well, I try to. I think that's important. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I mean, you're you're in this space. So I talked about like ecology and mm -hmm. the environmental component to how I think about literature, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the narratives exist on a landscape, and mm -hmm. those landscapes inform where we read, whether it's a magazine or a book or an e-reader or an audiobook, right? So mm -hmm. where you engage with a particular narrative in the context and the medium in which it's presented informs physically your physical environment in which you read mm -hmm. um, many people experience the audiobook when they're doing other things right, right? making it a passive yeah. um, reception of a narrative mm -hmm. rather than the active engagement with a text yeah but can you invert that and make the audiobook experience particularly more active um, by mm -hmm. finding an environment where you can immerse yourself in the narrative that's in your ears mm -hmm. 
But yeah, we need more Corys out there. Yeah. She's awesome. And her presentation was fantastic. Yeah. And she's really running around the house right now with her... The her big f- optimism filter taking yes. pictures of people. Yeah. Absolutely. We yeah, got a good family the street out there. Yeah. yeah. Blocking traffic. Blocking traffic. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so Ryan, where can people find some of your work? Um, what's your Twitter? You know, where, where do you live online? Um, for people online? Where do I live? I don't know. I'm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's... That's a place to Is it just your name? Right, yeah, right, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, yeah, the internet. Yeah, the, yeah, the internet, yeah. that thing. Which is a really is a really interesting topic, you know, oh. in Wallace studies now, ten year almost ten years later after Wallace's death, and the way that social media has developed since then, and the way it's employed in things like politics and, and social discourse. Mm. Um, Trump has come up a lot at this conference in re- in respect to Johnny Gentle. Yeah, of course. And I mean, social media has a huge role to play in that conversation. But it has a, a, a significant role to play in Wallace studies yeah. as well. Yeah, because Wallace anticipates a lot of this stuff. But but it's also and just a fantastic way to stay connected with people yeah. um, and to share ideas mm-hmm. and to exchange um, perspectives. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is uh, the cutoff point. Any final thoughts on the conference? How how's your experience been overall here at Wallace two thousand sixteen? Uh, it's 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 good community. It is. That's the word that that keeps coming up with all these interviews. Is yeah. that like you know the academic stuff is great and it's fun to talk about this stuff, but it's probably more fun to talk about this stuff you know at the restaurant or the pub after, and that's where you can really get you know. Yeah, if you really want to know what an academic thinks, yeah. hold your questions from the Q&A and bring them to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, for example... That's really sound advice. Yeah, there you go. Take, take that with you. Um, well, Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to talk about your paper and about your experience here, and we look forward to your future work on Wallace and... and um, in, a, in a unique and burgeoning field that not a lot has been really done on yet, so... Keep it up. And you're almost done the PhD process. You're getting close I, I to hope, wrapping. I, I hope to be wrapping up this semester. Cool. Um, that would require quite the legwork in the month of August. But, um, <laughs> so Dr. Marnane is on the horizon. Yeah, if not December, then 100% in May. So. Cool. Yeah. So the next time we talk to you, you will no longer be a mister. You'll be a doctor. That's the plan. <laughs> right on. Cheers, Cheers man. Congratulations. And congratulations on your master's. Hey, thanks. That's fucking awesome. It's funny, like coming, coming into a room of <laughs> you know, this magnitude, having just finished a master's feels like, oh, way to go, little Dave, like, we all have PhDs, no. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, so I have a certain, um, there's a certain humility or, like, self-consciousness that, or paranoia that comes well, with yeah, that. yeah, the imposter but... syndrome is alive and well at these <laughs> conferences, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I've met too many tenured track, you know, well-published scholars who I just fundamentally disagree with. You know their approach to a particular idea. So yeah. For me, the title means very little. It's yeah, about the idea. Of course, yeah. It's just like it's a social construct <laughs> that, you know, signifies something in some ways, but in other ways, it's really irrelevant. Yeah. To Dis- our basic humanity and yes. ability to engage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dismantle the social constructs of you know academic uh, positions. Which is really like imperial. Darwinian enterprise in a lot of ways. Hey man, I'm trying to (laughs) promote disciplinary disobedience right now. We need more interdisciplinary dialogue in all the studies. Totally, Um, and that's why some some of the papers were were really fantastic, just Mm -hmm. from filmed 
film theory and um, performance yeah. studies, yeah. And adaptation. There was some yeah. really cool gender studies. Yeah, that's yeah. important. I'm waiting for the feminist reading of um, brief interviews to come out. Mm. Is that a publication that's on the horizon? Like a publication? I'm, I'm sure someone's got a fire or... burning in them. That oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like probably it's in the hopper but for someone. Else. Isn't Mary Holland working on that? I think I think I've heard rumors of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And certainly at Paris, she kind of gave an invocation in her final address that like this is an area that the majority of scholars haven't really paid much attention to, and maybe because most of the scholars are males. Um, but you know this needs to be really addressed right. because there's some big problems here. Right. Yeah. And the journalism. And the journalism. And the audiobook. And the, yeah. So like new burgeoning fields are, are blooming, which is a really exciting thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. cheers for you know disseminating these new ideas out into the world. It's our pleasure. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. And we're back with probably the last of the brief interviews here, and uh, we have some familiar faces. Rob Short, who you've who recognized from a pretty recent past episode, and Chris Ayers. Um, so welcome back, guys, to the Great Concavity. <laughs> nice to be back. Thanks. Thanks for having us back. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a great pleasure. Tell us, guys, a little bit about how your experience this weekend, uh, what you talked about, what were some highlights, what are some interesting questions that emerged throughout the conference. I know, Chris, you got one issue you want to talk about. I wouldn't call it an issue, a, talk, a talking point. <laughs> a talking, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have, have a personal issue. There's not a, like an axe to grind, but there's just I would like say it was a, my, an interesting thought. I would say it was my main takeaway from the conference, not being uh, an <laughs> academic, being sort of the fish out of water mm-hmm. type. I don't know if you want to... <laughs> yeah, okay, so um, the question was raised about how is, some, is doing a paratextual or you know extracurricular thing like a podcast should we consider consider that to be a form of like valid academic engagement? And I kind of, I told a brief story I think of, and Rob and I can relate on this, is that we're both trying to finish these long academic projects. Uh, his is a dissertation, mine was a thesis. And yet, like I have these deadlines for my masters over the last year and I'm just consistently not handing my chapters in because I got busy with life and other things. and. Uh, but meanwhile, I was still maintaining the podcast with some consistency, and one of my supervisors, kind of jokingly in an email at one point when I was super late with the submission, said, you know, maybe a little bit less podcasting and more writing of your thesis, you know, so we can get you done here and moved on would be great. And I was like, oh, shoot, yeah, I mean, he's got a great point. Yeah, because you were three months late. Oh, yeah, at least. <laughs> like, I botched a lot of deadlines. They were they were like soft deadlines. So I was like, oh, you know, but if I'm given a hard deadline, I'll finish stuff. But if it's soft, yeah. like, I just can't. Same way. Well, I can. My wife and I argue about this a lot. She's like, no, you can do these things. You just cho- willingly choose not to. So that's a funny conversation that recurs a lot. Um, but that raises the question of, like, is doing this podcast thing like an invalid form of scholarship or is it less important than doing academic writing or and so you wanted to kind of raise yeah well this actually came up uh during the infinite winter panel where you guys like have five or six of you yeah put in an, an intense amount of work over three months to guide hundreds of people through this book <laughs> and you're basically working in the same realm as your your thesis or dissertation but it's seen as extracurricular and therefore not important. Mm. And I think that's, I've really never considered that because I, I'm not the kind of person who learns well in an institution. Mm-hmm. I learn through extracurricular by like listening to podcasts or yeah. you know, searching stuff out. Right. I'm not an academic. So you're reaching, 
you're reaching me who I have no bearing on your uh, academic career success, right? <laughs> right. Outside of the the safety bubble of academia. Yeah. And I'm like, where's? I'm just kind of curious. Like, is there a perceived value or lesser value? Right. And reaching the general, uh, the unwashed masses, so to, <laughs> civilians, <laughs> so to speak, rather than the uh, the fuliginous, right? Rather than <laughs> academia. I mean, I think there's a huge value, and a couple people brought up impact. Like, what is the impact of your work? Mm-hmm. You can actually measure the impact of your work by how many people downloaded your podcast or get an idea of how many people participated in the reading group. Yeah, and that's something that's maybe harder to measure sometimes in academia unless you get the personal one-on-one yeah contact or feedback. So. Right. I think it's a huge, you know, there's got to be some kind of a shift in like what is, uh, what is appropriate or like what is, what is valued in yeah. academia. What counts. What counts, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, podcasting is a very new, newer format, so. Yeah. And it's something I put Yeah, up. cutting edge. <laughs> I put a lot no, of we're cutting edge. We're sitting on a hardwood floor in like an empty room <laughs> here with the thing on a stand. It, like it's a pretty janky rig. Um, but the fact that anyone can do it doesn't necessarily discount it, right? There's brilliant people making podcasts mm-hmm. that I listen to every week. I mean, I listen to probably on a given week like 20 hours of podcasts. Wow. I'm not kidding. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. I'm a little, I have a problem. I'd say I'm about like three to four hours a week on podcasts, maybe a bit less. I only listen to the great one, can <laughs> Yes. We've, cor- we've monopolized Rob Short's podcast interest. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, so that, and yeah, that's only my episode, though. Oh, yeah, Rick, on, on repeat, yeah. yeah. So narcissism <laughs> being a consistent theme, you know, in a lot of papers this weekend. Sweet. So that, that is an interesting yeah. thought and question. And also, you guys have, you've got a, an archive of information in, in the Infinite Winter group, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that's just going to be there that people can go back and look at. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't disappear mm-hmm. when you're done with it. It's yeah. just, it's still valid as, as anything, I think. Yeah. Um, my sister and my mom recently started reading Infinite Jest, like maybe in the last two or three weeks, uh, because they kind of wanted to understand my thesis, and they both came to the def- to my defense, uh, in a in the literal sense of like they physically showed up to the room where I gave my thesis defense. So one thing that I did is I was like, this might help you a little bit. Here's the link to all the posts I did for Infinite Winter, and after you read the first seventy five pages, you can read the first one, and then after one hundred fifty, you can read the second one, and maybe that will help them connect some ideas together. So even at way after the fact, possibly it could still help guide people in a way. Yeah, For sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm probably going to put my foot in my mouth like for job prospect-wise, but I think <laughs> one of the reasons why... I mean, there's the obvious um, devaluation of work like this um, by older guard academics who... It's like the only thing that's left of tradition, like old, long-standing educational academic traditions and like passing of torches and things like that, you know, these vaunted ideas that really exist just in, you know, in form only or in name only anymore. Like, but there's still absolutely, like the one thing that they've still got is this gatekeeper of like graduate and doctoral mm-hmm. sort of education and then the, the publishing business that goes along with that with the university press system but that's not even that is something that they have sole control over anymore because you've got academic imprints of different publishing companies um, that are not associated with universities anymore Mm -hmm. it's it's just economics 
I think at the end of the day, <laughs> like it's just simple math. Like every person who does something out of love or out of um, just wanting to put an author's work in front of as many people as they can um, and does it for free, mm-hmm. they see it as a zero sum game, right? So, like, that was research that they could have done and published and charged for, or at least they could have done and published and then um, put in a tenure packet or um, used to fill a certain research quota or, um, you know, a certain sort of publishing quota, turn it into an article or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not a zero-sum game, you know, especially when you're working on something that's not quite canonical mm-hmm. um, yet. Yeah, you know we don't. There's no like you totally. have a Shakespearean, and you've but you don't you don't have a Wallace, you know, a tenured Wallace track like yeah. that you you know, or a Wallace line in your department that you need to keep staffed. Um, so even with contemporary American stuff, you don't you don't see Wallace taught a lot at the college level. I'm sure you see it more and more now. Yeah, um, you know I've taught a class on it and. Couple other people I know have taught classes mm-hmm. on it, um, but it's not—it's not like you're going to go to every bookstore, you know, university bookstore in America, and find copies of Wallace's books like you would like the Norton Shakespeare, mm. you know, or I don't know. Yeah. But it's—it's just—it's—it's it's that, and it's envy, I think, as well, because this stuff is cool, <laughs> and oh, you know, find like trying to to squirrel away some tiny little angle about Hamlet that hasn't been written yet is an increasingly hard and I'm sure <laughs> incredibly frustrating and non-fulfilling sort of thing to do for a living. Mm. Um, because that that talk about a zero-sum game, like try writing something new about Hamlet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that we have the luxury in Wallace studies of like, this is a fairly new academic field of research and even like we're seeing a huge explosion of it since especially 2008 but I mean still the it's num- not like, like I'm panicking because I think it's all going to be done exactly like to, there's still know. a lot of ground and yeah. territory no, it's not even, even started yet so. yeah so speaking of territory Chris you have uh, brought some of your wares to the conference some of your poster work uh, to, to sell and so maybe you could talk about what's the response from the people this weekend been to your work and actually seeing it like not just on your blog or somewhere on Twitter or something but physical copies of your stuff here that they can take home with them what's what what's been the experience with that it's been really positive everyone's been really great about it and you know I presented this stuff up on a big screen last year people have seen it on their computer monitors yeah I didn't do a presentation this year I didn't really want the stress and anxiety of <laughs> worrying about that maybe Rob could speak to that in a minute the stress of <laughs> it's not, conference it's, presentation it's <laughs> So, yeah, it's been a relatively relaxed for me yeah. conference, except for the fact that I'm sitting in classrooms, which is not my natural habitat, which <laughs> maybe for you guys it is. It just brings up more anxiety, anxiety and worry. <laughs> it's like every bad dream I ever had is like sitting in a, one of those college classrooms. Yeah. I got my bachelor's and I was done. I didn't look back. Yeah. Anyway, that's a aside. So the, the, setting, Hi, the, setting, <laughs> the setting is a strange thing for me to be in, yeah. actually. I'm like adjacent to a lot of academics, but not it's not my everyday right. thing, and that's most of the people who attend the conference. And I'm like I'm like one of the few creative people hmm. who's not representing a university or you know working on some kind of 
academic pursuit. All, everything yeah. I did was for fun. And, you know, there's a lot of passion and, and energy put into that. And it's mm-hmm. good to see um, the response to that because mm-hmm. and I think I talked about in my previous episode. When I first put this stuff out there, I had a, I fear of being called a fraud. You know, like that's, I wasn't aware of this community. I wasn't aware of online reading groups. I was like, someone will see this and say, well, that's not right. That's not what he meant. <laughs> but you picked the right author, I think. Yeah. It, it became clear to me that there was something there worth exploring, you know, about two-thirds of the way through the book. I hadn't even finished the book when I started creating artwork, you know, based on it. Wow. And I was afraid I would actually encounter something at the end of the book that would nullify something I understood <laughs> at the beginning, too. So there's a lot Aww, of... Oh, it's not a great book. <laughs> the end. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, it's something, a little factoid or something. Because I was, I was trying to be as detailed as possible in the research yeah. of the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, yeah, the response has been great, and you know, I had, I was just basically in and out, you know, trying to set my table up where people were, were going to be, and yeah, um, even people who didn't buy anything or just kind of have a smile on their face, you know, mm-hmm. that there's something that's not strictly an academic paper, you know. I'm like, there's color, color, and you know, tactile quality to this stuff. And totally, you don't get that shit at MLA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, burn. <laughs> so anyway. It's like uh, it's like the phenomenon of listening to music on iTunes and Apple Music and whatever versus like the phenomenon like the resurgence in vinyl that we've seen in the last decade or so that like you can go buy this huge physical album that you can hold the art in your hand and it's like there's something immensely satisfying about that and having like the physical copy of your work here that people yeah. can take home has a similar kind of property I think. It was just nice being able to see so many pieces Without yeah. having to like click a right arrow or a left arrow, <laughs> it's just all there, and you have to scan. Yeah, it's, it's all laid out on the table. It yeah. was funny. I hadn't even printed my stuff out for myself. It had always been digital. Really? Huh? Like I ordered a T-shirt or something that I made just to see the quality of yeah. the T-shirt printing. But yeah. Like I had, it was interesting for me as an experience to see. Yeah. I'm primarily a digital artist. I work in TV, and it's like sort of ephemeral it's you know it's on the screen for a second and then gone and yeah. roughly rarely anything i make like sticks around mm. as a print piece anymore so yeah yeah that's a really cool experience that's great very cool and rob you gave a paper this morning i did uh it was i would say thematically it was fairly similar to some of the stuff we talked about on your episode yeah i'm a one trick pony with sure. uh with wallace at well no no not that <laughs> but like that was not very long ago that we did that episode that's right that's and so true. this like you were working on this stuff when we talked and yeah. now it's been kind of realized in, a, in, a, in an academic forum, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so give us like a, you know, the, the brief overview of uh, how, like what you talked about today and, and the kinds of questions that came up in the Q&A. And... Um, I, this was, a, it was an excerpt from my second chapter um, about the inner novel period and looking at the uh, critis- Wallace's criticism that he published between when he published Broom of the System and when he published Infinite Jest, um, a lot of people use Wallace's answers to questions in interviews to um, legitimize or, or, you know, shore up their own arguments about um, what they want to say about Wallace's work. And yeah. they, they point to his interview answers as like, see, this is what I was saying. He says himself that, this is the decoder ring for interpreting the fiction. Yeah. Right. And it's, I think, you know, interviews are, they're a little problematic. I mean, they're, they yeah. can be a lot yeah. problematic if somebody's 
you know, has a history of being purposefully misleading, you know, and throwing you off the scent with their interviews. Yeah. But generally when somebody's consistent on a point over and over and over, you know, across a span of many, many years, and he gets asked a question and he gives the same sort of answer or he, you know, modifies that answer and tells you why, mm-hmm. it's generally accepted that he's, it's not a, and a very it's elaborate a ruse, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's still, you know, somebody could take you to task for relying solely on that for evidence for your argument if, yeah. if they wanted to. Yeah. But I, so I decided to try um, to get around that or to, to hedge a little bit, hedge my bets in terms of, um, you know, getting getting called out uh, for that kind of error by mm-hmm. looking at what he says about other people's um, mm-hmm. Fiction, yeah. his in the because he published some book reviews in that internovel period that don't really get talked about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Published some criticism of other critical like monographs this, by this guy named H. L. Hicks, um, and then he reviews um, Kathy Acker's Portrait of an Eye, which he, if you haven't read that, that's a it's a laugh riot. Oh, okay. Uh, no, he just absolutely burns it down. It's, yeah. it's Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I look in there for, um, you know, across the, the span of, of time between those two novels for what it is that he praises and what it is that he sort of pans about um, theoretical works. Yeah. Um, because the, the arc of my dissertation is a sort of, re- you know, theory recovery arc. Um, in this middle period, in between the theory-heavy novel and then the sort of subverting theory to narrative uh, concerns, traditional, more traditional narrative mm-hmm. concerns, I wanted to see if you could find evidence of this evolution of his thought about theory uh, in what he says about other people's work, mm-hmm. and if it if it changes from time to time, and it does. Mm-hmm. You know, he's on record like in '87, right after he publishes Broom, defending critical theory, defending um, like high-flown sort of jargony post-structural criticism mm-hmm. um, in the New York Times and an op-ed in the New York Times and then publishes stuff in the Harvard Book Review. You know, it's pretty pretty soon after that, less than two years, mm-hmm. before he's you can see him kind of turning 180 around. He's decided that yeah. he didn't, you know, he's changed his mind. He's changed, <laughs> he's changed the reason reason um, for writing for yeah, yeah. For, for writing fiction the goal of the fiction yeah um, so hmm. anyhow and I don't know the, the questions that we got in the Q&A um, really what I remember most about the Q&A is um, McLaughlin who was involved with the um, review of contemporary fiction mm-hmm. which is where Wallace published that essay on Wittgenstein's mistress that I talked about half my presentation for the empty cleaner. Yeah, um, is sitting three feet in front of me <laughs> while I'm, I'm making all these claims uh-huh. about Wallace and, and theory recovery. And you know, he was there at ISU when Charlie Harris was, and yeah. uh, when when they were when ISU was like a a magnet for grad students who wanted to write experimental fiction, yeah, you know, theory yeah. fiction, and. Um, <laughs> So, I was, and I'm like, Wallace hated, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm just afraid I'm coming off like super reductive or I'm just really, I'm, I'm putting my foot further and further down my throat, you know, in right. front of this guy. Yeah. But I talked to him afterward and he was really nice. Yeah, he's really great. Nice uh, so there's like a certain phobic, uh, you know, paratext to being a scholar and like presenting at a panel in front of these like people who personally knew Wallace and have tenured positions and who've written a lot yeah. and like there's an anxiety factor here that is worth talking about maybe <laughs> you know like yeah. yeah so I mean what and that's something that Wallace is really interested in in his work is is human anxiety and we see that in the pale king and well, everywhere I else. sweat like to make him <laughs> proud yeah exactly um, no bandana today for you though no. uh, at but, least at least tied around your forehead but like maybe another other ways we saw bandanas show up <laughs> well the um it, but i everybody that i i met uh over the course of this conference was who who knew wallace and um who made themselves available and yeah. and brought out you know stuff like physical like like almost like they were like sacred objects um yeah that term kept being used during uh like you were going to touch the Shroud of Turin or something. Um, <laughs> there were some great objects, though. Really cool, really obscure stuff. Yeah. And he just, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like he's got them in archive quality bags. and, and No, like, like everyone got to touch it. Yeah, he was just around. like, here like, you go. Like, like, here's, here's a letter from Wallace. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, there was some really beautiful stuff that came out in that panel yesterday, I thought. I think my favorite thing that I learned in that was that um, Wallace made the guy from Publishers Weekly, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, when when publishers weekly sent somebody to normal to interview, he was like, "Where should I? You know, I'll, I'll pick up lunch. Where should we go?" And he's like, "I'm meeting you at the deli or the lunch counter at Kmart." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and made that guy eat at Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the the high low distinction is really funny there. Like, I'm going there to talk to this high literary guy, David Foster Wallace, and we're gonna just eat it like. The most dumpstery place imaginable, yeah. and and Charlie said that Dave liked to eat there a lot. You know, like he wanted just normal people around him, and he sought out normal people as friends here, and and that was kind of his mo. You know, like, yeah. And that, everybody in normal is normal people. Yeah, it's just that like was, sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> well, I mean, we've all made that joke at some point at, at it's a conference. It's a lovely town, though. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Totally. Yeah. Cicadas everywhere. Cicadas? Cicadas? Cicadas. Potato, potato. I say cicada. Cicada. Depends if you're Canadian or American. Long versus sharp A's, right? Pasta, pasta. Drama, drama. We'll we'll check that later. Any uh, final thoughts on the conference, guys? Final reflections or really, you know, key takeaways, impressions? Um, Since I went to the conference last year and we were in the Marriott, there's a whole different vibe to being in like a sort of professional uh, commercial environment versus being in the in the university, yeah. Um, I guess I had the anxiety of like going into a couple panels late, and there's like the squeaky door. I'm bringing a can of back. They really did the, like some oil on those hinges would have been a, would have re- been a really substantial grace yeah. this weekend. I brought that up at the end of the suggestions for next that year. Bit, yeah. That was my only only uh, really criticism. <laughs> if I come in late, I don't want the whole room to look at me. Yeah, I, it's rude to come in late, but I, you know, I was I was actually you know manning my table, selling some People artwork. People do that in every so. time I've ever been. Um, yeah. yeah, you just kind of have to expect it. But yeah, hearing the squeak takes on it's kind of a new <laughs> resonance. <laughs> yeah. This rodential son of a bitch right here. How about for you, Rob? Final final takeaway. Um, 
for I any I just want if anybody that was here, um, who like I overheard a couple of times people saying to, like oh this wasn't maybe this wasn't as good this this particular part or aspect of the the um, conference wasn't as good as last year it was um, a little different in this way or that way mm-hmm. um, really kind of got put into perspective at the end when um, we were sort of debriefed mm-hmm. by the the organizer on um, the funding for yeah. this conference um, <laughs> which I had I did you guys know that no, before? I, so the funding no, ISU cut every bit of funding um, that they have given in previous years to support this conference and make it happen um, you know, food budgets, um, mm-hmm. venue budgets, venue budgets, yeah. just, I mean, there's, it's the amount of places to bleed money when you put on an academic conference has got to be pretty, you just get nickel and dime to death. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so this year it had a little bit more of a DIY mm-hmm. kind of feel to it. Yeah. And, you know, there were maybe some things that were a little rough around the edges, but the, not that affected um, the quality yeah. of the work. Yeah. Or the feel of the community. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. If anything, that felt kind of ratcheted up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, when he told us that they cut every bit of funding to this and that it, we were completely self-funded, this, every bit of money that got spent on this conference came from the fees, the registration fees of the attendance of the conference. I... And, that volunt- kind of made and volunteer me, labor and, and the, yeah. the huge you know thankless bunch of folks students and, and yeah. volunteers in that English department and, and probably beyond yeah. who were patient yeah. and uh, you know never you know didn't want to thank you were just happy to help you out mm. and um, that's it made me kind of proud that when when he said that, it, it recast the whole thing in my head, yeah. and I was like, you know what, good, mm-hmm. you know, like we don't need their money, you yeah. know, we'll we'll do it ourselves. But we, it yeah. was that made me that made me proud of this community, yeah. and made me proud of ISU, yeah. um, and it really um, just re- recast the whole the whole experience of of, of the conference. Yeah. And so thank you again to everybody who helped out. Um, behind the scenes, um, who who you know set up tables or who direct people to yeah. you know panel rooms. Um, I think a really beautiful representation of what you're saying was that yesterday, the person who got to introduce Marshall Boswell was Zeph, who was like the head student volunteer coordinator, second year undergrad student, and he got up and he was like. I'm a second year undergrad student and I am really into this stuff and now I get to introduce like you know one of the earliest Wallace scholars uh, Marshall Boswell and yeah, guy you know, foundational work yeah and like he was just so amped and excited to be there and, and he, he did a, or such a rad job introducing it and it's like he was he was nervous for about awesome. 10 seconds yeah. and then that kid that young man just, just lit it up. Handled business. Oh, I was yeah. so proud. I was hats off, young man. Yeah, yeah. So Zeph and your team, thank you guys so much for all your work. And we talked. To, I talked to Jane Carmen earlier today in an interview and talked about her experience running this conference over the last few years. And mm-hmm. yeah, absolute thanks to all of them for everything this year. It's been great. 
I have a suggestion. Maybe we start a pledge drive section on the Great Concavity. People like a mail Patreon in. or something? Yeah, yeah, pay, yeah. Patreon. There you go. It's yeah. a fun next year's conference. All right, Rob. Thank you so much for swinging by. Chris, thank Thanks you for, for thank you. your inputs. Love getting to catch up with recurring guests. Um, so fun to see familiar faces, both in real life here at the conference and, you know, again on the show. So thank you guys again for what you're doing in the community and keep it up. Yeah. Thanks. Mama Cita. That's what a podcast is. Cut that part out. Hello, Dave and Matt. This is Chris Ayers. Um, Dave, you and I were talking about the nature of Easter eggs in in media after the David Foster Wallace conference, and I wanted to add my own Easter egg, audio Easter egg to your podcast, so to speak, if you don't mind. Um, This also serves as a confession. At the end of the conference, there were about, I don't know, maybe half the attendees still there in the very after the very final panel, and did a drawing. It was a raffle for some of the items that were left over um, from the conference, t-shirts, books, and that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't put my name into the drawing because I already had most of that swag. Jane Carmen had been uh, kind enough to give me some of that stuff for helping out designing the conference logo and manning the book table while she was away. So I did not put my own name into the, the drawing where you could write your, your name on these cards actually went for sort of a lowbrow joke um i wrote down hugh g rection on the cards uh hugh hugh is of course um the porn actor in james owen condenses film mobius strips and i was pretty certain most people in that room would get the joke unfortunately the guy drawing the names um and the conference organizer had not read infinite jest so it might have seemed like i was trolling him um so i apologized to ryan edel if that seemed like the case um, he did draw the name and and blushed, I think, and then said, uh, Hugh, is there a Hugh here? So <laughs> I felt kind of bad after that point uh, that he did not get the joke. And had he read the book, probably would have realized that a lowbrow joke in this setting would have been something that David Foster Wallace would have appreciated. So anyway, I just wanted to add that. I think that's uh, the very definition of an Easter egg, something that only a few uh, amount of people will get the joke. But All right. Um, thanks. Really enjoyed talking with you guys at the conference um, and hope to see you soon.